1: Hello, and welcome to the Flexible Advisor podcast. I'm Laura Gregg and joined with my co host, David Partain. Hello, David. How are you? Hello, Laura. Excited and dare I say anxious about today's podcast? <laughs> Well, that's a little foreshadowing. (laughs) (laughs) To our regular listeners, you know that on the Flexible Advisor, we seek to invite guests that will provide unique insights and actionable ideas for advisors that want to fine-tune or grow their businesses, all while deepening those important client relationships. And today will be the second in a series of conversations about FlexShare's third research study on advisor wellness. In this episode and the others that will follow, we talk to thought leaders and dive into the research findings. Our goal with each of these conversations is to leave you, our advisor listeners, with actionable ideas to help you focus on your own wellness so that you can better serve your clients. We'll also be sharing insights as to why this research is important as we try to bring more professionals into the financial advisory business. In today's episode, we will focus on the higher levels of stress that were reported by female financial advisors in our study and why this could actually be a sign of good mental health if handled correctly. Our guest is Dr. Chloe Carmichael, a clinical psychologist whose private practice in New York City focuses on stress management, relationship issues, self-esteem, and coaching. Dr. Chloe, as she's known, is the author of the recently published book, Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety, and I can't wait to read that. She is a consultant at Baker McKinsey, the third largest law firm in the world. She's an advisory board member appearing for Women's Health Magazine, which is a Hearst publication, and is a featured expert for psychology today. Dr. Chloe has been featured as an expert on VH1, Inside Edition, ABC Nightline, and other television, and she's been quoted in the New York Times- in Forbes, Vanity Fair, Shape, Cosmopolitan, and even Rolling Stone along with other media. She is a sustaining member of the New York Junior League and has provided clinical as well as personal volunteer services to underserved populations, including the homeless, veterans with addictions, and poverty level immigrants. In addition to that, she's been a certified yoga instructor since 2001. Dr. Chloe, we are thrilled to have you here on the Flexible Advisor and uh, thank you for joining us.
2: Well, thank you, Laura. It's so good to be with you. Um, As we all know, financial advisors are such important people in this past year. I've certainly been closer to my financial advisor, so (laughs) it's really good to be with you.
3: Okay Dr. Chloe it really sounds like you're not that busy or should I say wow it sounds like you're quite busy and we are so appreciative of you taking time from your schedule to join us. Uh, I am so excited to speak with you today because I have a son who's had who's dealt with anxiety actually studied a little bit from a children's perspective on the topic so I'm I'm really Grateful to have you on the podcast. We believe your insights on stress management, entrepreneurship, and relationship management will be incredibly valuable as we share some of our advisor wellness research findings as well. I'd like to kick this off by asking you your reaction to some findings from our survey of advisors. So, since 2017, we've seen that women advisors have had stress levels, unfortunately, are significantly higher or Maybe, fortunately, you'll let us know, significantly higher than their male counterparts. However, in 2020, we saw a notable jump in women's reported stress, while men actually reported a slight decline in stress. Does that surprise you at all? And are you seeing this across various industries during COVID-19?
2: Well, that is such an interesting question, David. So I think that when we hear a statistic like that from a study showing that women are experiencing more of a spike in stress than men, I think that there's one obvious potential answer, which is, certainly that women, in addition to doing all of their professional work obligations, are also taking care of, say, children, the home. They tend to be more in the caregiving role. And this past year has brought increased demands in terms of the caregiving duties, right? Women have had that double whammy of a really hectic professional year combined with a very hectic personal year. Another way of looking at it is also to consider that women tend to be higher reporters of stress, anxiety, and depression. That doesn't mean that they experience it necessarily at higher levels. They're just, uh, for whatever reason, they seem to be more comfortable reporting it. That might be because they're more aware of it or they're more willing to acknowledge it. Men tend to actually display higher levels of substance abuse so they won't report stress and anxiety and depression. They'll just display substance abuse issues more commonly. When I hear that women are reporting higher levels of stress, I don't necessarily take that to mean that women are, you know, buckling and breaking with the weight of all this stress. It could be that women are actually just more attuned and more comfortable discussing and naming the issue. And there is a real advantage to that because when we're comfortable naming and discussing and pinpointing when we're vulnerable, when we need support, That's actually when we're setting ourselves up to receive support that can actually be a a very fortuitous thing if you're facing challenges or stressors to be on top of it, to be aware of it
1: and to be talking about it. That can actually be a very healthy step to do. So th- thanks, Dr. Chloe, for that. I I feel like that's very helpful for me to hear, and I also feel like the the press has really been focused on on the real difficulties experienced by working women in the era of COVID nineteen. But I often get concerned that all women are being cast as a monolith, and that we're forgetting that many men have also been forced to add things to their plates in terms of caregiving. And I'm curious if you think this is primarily a women's issue or or how it's affecting men as well.
2: Sure, Laura. I think men are absolutely being affected by this. They just might be more inclined to mask the issue perhaps than women. So women do tend to be A little bit higher on the verbal scale, and certainly, I think probably even experiencing potentially a little bit more demands than men in terms of that caregiving requirements that we're having at home. Also, people do tend to talk to women and open up to women more, which I know... In the world of financial advisors, that can actually be a real gift for women, for female financial advisors. I work with several as clients and I have several friends that are female financial advisors. And that can actually be such a plus in being someone that you can get clients to talk to you and open up to you about what's happening in their lives, right? Because as we all know, what's happening in our lives is oftentimes reflected in in what's happening with our money and vice versa. But I don't take any of those study results to mean that men are not being affected because I do believe that they are. They maybe just don't tend to talk about it necessarily with as much
1: clarity and openness perhaps as women do. You know, so many of us unexpectedly were forced to work from home, uh, men and women, of course. And, you know, I'm wondering... I think and I hope maybe that this is a silver lining to the pandemic in that it it may create more awareness globally and also by men of the energy that it takes to juggle family, home and work responsibilities. And that as a result, perhaps firms may be more open to additional flexibility in the future.
2: I agree 100%. I mean, that is such a silver lining, right? It's just this sheer simple amount of time, right? That we're saving, that we no longer have to be going back and forth to an office and we don't have to be geographically tethered either to an office. But what what's also happening to your point, Laura, is that the work that women are doing, I think is becoming more visible, right? With all of this working from home. Men, I think are actually literally seeing more what it's like for a woman to be working a full-time job and also be trying to be fully present as a wife and as a mom. I, I think it's probably a little bit astounding <laughs> for some men maybe that they hadn't really seen up close and personal all of the things that women actually are doing when they are a working family woman.
3: Yeah, I know for me it's three hours a day that I am not having to commute from my home into the office and then back again so it does you can spend it like tethered to your desk and totally work those three hours or you can do other things and I know one of the things we've done in family and I'm not sticking up for all men here I'm just saying what I've been able to do is more uh, I've actually taken on the laundry I actually find that I actually like folding clothes so you know what? I, uh, I've i taken on the laundry and I whoever cooks dinner, the other, the other individual actually does the dishes. So that's, I would say that that has happened during this time and it wouldn't have happened otherwise because going into the city from our suburb was just taking up eating into that time that I could actually learn. And so it's been kind of cool. So what do you say to those men who maybe are not helping around the home or to put it more strongly, not pulling their weight. And so how does that conversation go? What should, How should women do to encourage that? What does that look like?
2: Well, first of all, I would assume that the man probably isn't aware, right? So we always wanna just start with the benefit of the doubt it might be that you've, as, as a woman, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, David, thanks for asking. Cause that's the problem <laughs> at my house. <laughs> what what it might be is I find sometimes women are so good at making things look easy that we make it look too easy to the point where the man really literally might not even know what it is that needs to be done. He might really just not see all of the work that you're doing. Right. So, um, I always think that it's best to remember that this is your partner, right? If, 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 if we're assuming that this is a husband situation or a a live-in partner situation. So this is somebody you love. This is somebody who theoretically should be on your side, um, somebody who's reasonable. And so even if it doesn't feel reasonable because maybe we've let things get so imbalanced that we're feeling really frustrated and frazzled, we wanna just try to, for a moment, dig a little deeper and even take ownership of that and say, you know what, honey, I've got to talk to you about something. I've realized that I've been doing the lion's share of a lot of the housework here, and I haven't even really given you a chance necessarily to step in on that. I've just been you know, unilaterally doing it all myself, and I've come to realize that it's actually creating some resentment and some burnout for me, which I know cannot be fun for you. And so therefore, David, to answer your question, what I'm doing is I'm bringing up the issue, but I'm doing it in a really empathetic way that doesn't make my husband the bad guy And then I would set it up in a very specific way and say, you know, what would really help me is if, you know, you could do the laundry on Thursdays or, you know, whatever it is that you need, you know, if you could do the laundry every day or whatever it is, but to just start making some really specific asks and then assume he'll forget, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and what I mean by that is is not to take it personally. To just remember that whenever we're trying to build new habits, it's it's not always easy. So when when the husband agrees and says, "Yeah, sure, I'll do it," I would say, "Well, thank you so much. What can I do?" That will help make it easy to keep that on your radar. Cause I know this is a new habit and you have a million things on your plate too. What can I do that would make it easy to remember? And if he says, oh, nothing, you know, I'll just remember it naturally, then you can say, Okay, sure, great. And then if it doesn't happen, at least you've already put it out there. So then you can circle back and say, Hey, I know you said that you thought it'd be easy to remember, but I th- I think it's a little harder. Things are a little hectic. You know, maybe I could just start putting all the laundry on the machine for you so that you can get started or whatever. So we want to gently but firmly stay on top of them, but we want to do it in a really bridge building way that assumes that they want to help us because we don't want it to become adversarial.
3: So it's it's not necessarily a chore chart on the fr- fridge. Is that what you're saying?
2: Well, you know, I mean, tour charts, to be honest, I don't I really don't have a problem with them. Whatever it takes to just help help get things done and make it clear what people are doing and what their contributions are, even if you just want to say, I want to put this up so that our kids can see and keep track and understand of all the work that it takes to keep the house moving. You know, there's I don't have a problem with tour charts, really, I think whatever it takes.
3: Switching topics slightly, in our survey, we found that oftentimes on-the-job strategies can be more effective at relieving stress than, say, going out for a run or a walk. I'm curious how you coach your clients to manage their stress.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, that's going to be different, obviously, for every client. But I think one of the most important things is to really even give yourself permission to have stress. And I know that might sound funny, but a lot of, in my experience, very high-functioning privileged people, which, you know, financial advisors, really many, many financial advisors are, right? We they, they lead great lives. They're good with money. They hopefully have some kind of a secure financial life. And they tend to sometimes not feel like they have permission to feel stressed because they're aware of so many people that have so many financial problems that they'll end up saying, oh, well, who am I to complain about X, Y, Z? You know, I've got this great life. Why? I, I don't really have permission to complain. And what they're doing then is they're minimizing and undercutting their awareness of their stress. And when we do that, we're actually minimizing and undercutting our ability to practice self-care around the stress, right? So the first thing really to do is to give yourself permission that it is okay if you feel stressed. And when you do feel that stress, instead of criticizing yourself for being a complainer, I would actually like you to congratulate yourself on the awareness because a lot of people don't realize they're stressed out until they're having a, a complete and total meltdown, right? So if you're starting to realize that you're stressed out before you're at that point, I would actually give yourself a big pat on the back, you know, just for that awareness. And then, you know, you mentioned your smart home device, David. There are some things that you can even do with that. So you can have your smart home device, for example, every day play relaxing classical music from 12 to 2 and then switch it up to nature sounds from 2 to 4, those types of things so that you're beginning to automate your environment to to de-stress you a little bit. Other things that high-performing people do to stay on top of the stress so the stress doesn't stay on top of them is even like a daily debrief journal where at the end of every day, you just write, you know, what was the high point of your day? What was the low point of your day? And, you know, what are the two things that you're most stressed about for the future? And the beauty of writing down the things that you're stressed out about for the future is that then you can start jotting down, well, what could I do about those things? Because that is the healthy function of anxiety is to give us a little tickle to say, oh, gee, there's a little, little, um, little snag coming up on the horizon. How could we prepare for that? And then we're using that energy constructively. That's, that's the healthy purpose of anxiety.
3: Well, I will tell you a story about my device. I was asked by my wife to let the dog out at 10 o'clock. And so I asked my device to play who let the dogs out. Ah. And I happened to be on a call at 10 o'clock. So it was very funny. <laughs> so just beware
1: when you set those alarms. <laughs> yes. Okay. I'm I'm not going to lose that image now. Thank you, David. <laughs> like you, Dr. Chloe, there are so many advisors that are entrepreneurs running their own firms. I'm hoping you can provide some tips for those business owners to employ in helping their teams also manage stress.
2: Sure. So I think one of the things that's actually really important is to be open about the fact that there is stress, just like with whether we're leading a business or leading a family, we can sometimes feel this pressure to act as if we have everything all figured out because we want to project confidence to our team. And while it is true that we want to project confidence to our team, we also want to give our team the message that even if we don't have all the answers That's okay. That The important thing is is that we are going to figure this out together, even if we're not doing it perfectly, as long as we're learning together and increasing our ability to rely upon one another, that's how we're going to grow together and get through this together. So, Ironically, the way to lead your team through stress is sometimes to actually lean into the stress and to say, yeah, you know what, this is a really mixed up upside down time when there's not a super clear path and direction of, of how we're gonna deal with the such and such situation. And so I just wanted to call this meeting to talk about that and to share that it's okay that we don't have all the answers, you know, but but that we are going to get through this together. When I was in graduate school doing research One of the interesting research findings that we did actually working with homeless families was discovering that homeless families actually had higher levels of family closeness in many cases than families that were housed and that had a lot of resources. And researchers thought this may actually be because it's during hard times that we do need to learn how to just rely on each other and just be there for each other. I do think that the first thing as I mentioned is to know that it's okay to not have all the answers and to even be able to model that you don't have all the answers. I do think it's also really important to just have lots of FaceTime, just lots of checking in with people. The proverbial water cooler conversations are not happening as much saying to your assistant or to your colleagues, we've got a few loose ends to tie up on our agenda. Why don't we like get on Zoom or why don't we get on a phone call instead of emailing our way through this, let's talk voice to voice because there is something about community that is a de-stressor for people. There is a component of social support that we can get through work that we should get through work if we're going to be on a team and I think we can miss that when we are just doing everything over email and we're not in the office. So even though I know we all get Zoom fatigue, I think it's better to be a little Zoom fatigued than to be in email
1: isolation. You know, a, a couple things came to mind as you were talking through that Dr. Chloe, you know, just the the importance of vulnerability. And to be able to have open conversations with your team members. And I don't often compliment David, but I will now. (laughs) And and say that, you know, from the time that we all came home in March of last year, he has been focused like a laser on, on building community within our small team, making sure we all see each other and, We were talking earlier today about, you know, just, I used to go to a lot of conferences. I miss that community, but it's, it's to talk about those things and share personal stories with your teammates as, as appropriate. Um, And it's been very helpful for me over this time, you know, (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. been good. One of the big stressors for advisors this year has been a dramatic shift in how they conduct business development. Prior to the pandemic, so many advisors relied on taking their clients and prospects out to a nice dinner or for a round of golf, and that all disappeared overnight. So with the vaccine, fortunately, now more widely available, what are some tips that you have for advisors that want to move back to in-person meetings and, more importantly, back to in-person larger social events with clients and prospects? How should they approach it? with clients knowing that some may be more comfortable than others to get back in those group situations?
2: You know, Laura, that is such a good question. I think it's going to obviously be different for each person, but I am a big fan of even just doing what we call in psychology, narrating your experience, right? So I could see a situation even where an advisor might even, say, come up with with two events, two or three events, and one being an online event, understanding, as you just said, Laura, that they want to get back to in-person. And I think that's great. But if they're curious you know, to kind of take the temperature of their audience and find out if their audience wants to get in-person, or as you said, if it's a a mix, what they could even do is they could do a mailing to their list and say, I would like to be able to get together in-person with those of you who want to get together in person and I'd like to get together online with those of you you know who prefer online and so I'm planning a couple of events and you know just giving people the option even to click into which events appeal to them I actually, I think it's the scientist in me of of wanting to actually survey and learn from people which types of events would actually suit them but certainly also as you're thinking about planning group events I think most people feel more comfortable with outdoor events, right? If there's ever a possibility of a way that I know it's still pretty chilly in many parts of the country right now, but I know that, for example, by the month of May, certainly, right, like it might not be a bad time now to start calling that rooftop bar of that wonderful little hotel and finding out if, you know, you could do a a small group on Thursday, like, you know, the second Thursday in May, if you can reserve a little part of that, hotel area, because I do think that especially as the weather gets nicer, planning some outdoor events would almost be an offer people couldn't refuse, right? I think people are really eager to get out there. Of course, at the same time, there will be people that just are not going to feel ready for that, which is fine. So I think it's nice to continue to offer the online events, which is then a behavioral way of showing your audience that you're truly open to meeting them whenever and however and wherever is best for them.
3: Dr. Chloe, it has been so great to get your insights today. I'm hoping you can end our discussion by telling the audience about your newly published book, Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety. And specifically, I'm curious how you define nervous energy. And please tell us, give us a couple of brief tips that you might find, we might find in the pages of your book.
2: Sure, definitely. So there's actually a story in the book about a financial advisor. So um, I I hope that that'll be a good story, I think, for your listeners. Uh, So nervous energy is what I'm calling that sense of anxiety that many type A people feel that little bit of kind of restless, always on type of a feeling. And they would always come to my office and say, you know, Dr. Chloe, how do I get rid of my anxiety? But then they had this attachment to it, you know, this, little like kind of affectionate feeling like, Oh, I'm just so OCD or, Oh, I'm a perfectionist or, Oh my gosh, one thing goes wrong and I have a panic attack. And you could tell that it was a problem, but it was also a problem that they kind of liked. And I, I could tell that they were actually correct in recognizing that there was a level of conscientiousness and being on point, that they were associating with this anxiety, that they didn't actually wanna get rid of that part. They just wanted to learn how to rein it in a little bit. So that's what Nervous Energy Harness, the power of your anxiety does, is it teaches people how to take that little boost that we do get from a little adrenaline that we get when it's go time, and then just make sure we use that energy effectively in a way that's really going to serve our own needs and take good care of ourselves, you know, rather than just stewing in our own stress juices, so to speak. And the book was recently endorsed by Deepak Chopra. So that was a big, exciting Very surprise. Nice. Um, and people can go to nervousenergybook.com or go to Amazon or wherever books are sold.
3: Well, oh, that's great. Well, again, it has been a pleasure to get your insights today, and you have been a real delight to have on the podcast. Thank you.
2: Well, the pleasure is mine. It was great to be with you all, and I look forward to working with financial advisors in years to come. You all are such great people.
3: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Chloe and her book, just visit www.nervousenergybook.com. That's nervousenergybook.com. If you like this podcast, you may also like the other FlexShares podcast called Funds in Focus. Check it out today and you'll find it wherever you get your podcasts. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor.
0: Thank you for listening to the Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foreside Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such
3: matters.